0: If you have a Bible. You can turn to Genesis 37. One other uh, thought on worship. Uh, we get into the rest of this stuff. There's a Psalm. It's uh, 148, I believe. That's a little bit weird. It talks about all these different things, praising the Lord, trees and water and lightning and fish and the. I was reading that one time and I was thinking that that didn't make sense. How does stuff like that, like how does a tree Praise the Lord. And kind of the thought that came into my mind is a tree praises the Lord by being a tree. When a tree is a tree, that's when God gets glory. Because that's what he he made a tree to be a tree. And he made a fish to be a fish. And he made lightning to be lightning. And he made hail to be hail. And he made a bear to be a bear. And when those things are what God has made them to be, that's when God is most glorified. And the same thing is true for us. Um, When we are who we are, God is the most glorified. What I was saying, God doesn't deal in images. He deals in reality. He lives in reality. And so, He's. sometimes we think we're doing God a favor by only bringing our shiny self to Him. And we're actually doing Him a disservice because He lives in reality. And if we aren't who we are, it dishonors Him. And it doesn't mean you can stay there, but if you can allow, if you can find some place, if it's not here, then... By all means, find some place where you can be who you are in the presence of God. That's when He's most glorified, and that's when you'll really connect with Him uh, in worship, and He'll begin to do things in your life. So that's that. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I told you guys that we had some stuff coming up in the next few weeks, and this is one of the things uh, we've had a leadership team, some guys that I asked to help me start this church, it seems like about 10 years ago. I think it was three years ago. They probably feel like it was 20 years ago, and it's time to give them a It's time for us to transition leadership. So what we're going to do is we're going to nominate and confirm some elders. We've not had elders before. We've had a leadership team, and I feel like this is the time and this is the the way to do this. So in two weeks from today, we're going to take elder nominations. So um, that would be, you know, we're going to have a little card, and you can write down who you think would be an elder. I'm going to put some more stuff about this in the email deal that will go out tomorrow, and we'll talk about it again next week. But I do want you to begin to pray, and this is just a kind of a skeleton. The qualifications, what I'm looking for is maturity, not necessarily age. In our congregation, we we don't have that many people who are of elder age, but we're looking for maturity, particularly spiritual maturity. If you're going to nominate someone, I want it to be someone who you think, you know what, I'm glad that guy is leading this church. That guy has a strong relationship with the Lord. He knows the Bible. If I had a problem, I feel like I could go to him. He could help me work it out. Looking for spiritual maturity and then maturity just in terms of how they relate to other people. We don't have, we don't want any babies. We need people who can um, share their opinions, who can be right, and we need for sure people who can be wrong and not get their feelings hurt and kind of keep moving ahead. So maturity, we need people who uh, love and are committed to this church. If someone's not committed to this church, they definitely don't need to be leading it. And we need people who love and are committed to me because you're going to have to meet with me a lot. If you hate me, you don't want to be an elder. So if somebody thinks they're going to nominate you and you don't like me, then you need to tell them no. Don't tell them because you don't like me because that will hurt my feelings. Come up with another reason, but don't let them nominate you. The major responsibilities are prayer. They're going to pray for the church, pray for um, the ministries in the church, uh, pray for me, counsel, give me wisdom and insight on the major decisions of the church, uh, meet with people uh, in the church as well, issues that are going on, and then they provide accountability for me. Uh, in a couple of days, we're going to have our bylaws uh, posted. We just came up with some, but we didn't just. It took me a year to kind of pull together these bylaws, and they'll be uploaded under our website at stonebridgemarietta.org. You can look at that, and it'll give you the full picture on what an elder is. It's really, really riveting reading. So, uh, Maybe do it right before you go to bed. It will help you go to sleep. So elders, in the next couple of weeks we'll be doing that. One of the questions, first questions you're going to ask is what about women? And I will say I can make a case either way for women elders. And so I just want you to pray. And if the Lord puts a name on your heart and it happens to be a female, I want you to write it down. And if it's not, I want you to write it down. And we'll sort through all of those things. If you're going to nominate someone to be an elder, please ask them first. So just say, hey, I'm thinking about nominating you. Are you okay with that? And if they say no, just re- respect their decision. Don't badger or push or any of that kind of stuff. Just respect their decision. And if somebody asks you, if they say, you know, I'm thinking about nominating you, don't know false humility here. Like, we need people to do this, and it's us. So don't say, oh, I'm not. Good. we don't need any of that. Like, just pray, and if you feel like the Lord is saying, yeah, this is the thing for you, then he's going to equip you to do it. So don't pretend to be humble by saying, no, I'm not good enough, or I don't know enough, or whatever. So um, just over the next couple of weeks, I'll be praying and just ask the Lord to bring the guys forward that he has. We're looking for three to start with, and then we'll um, add elders as our congregation grows. You can see all that on the website. So that's that. We've been talking uh, the past couple of weeks about dreaming and doing, and we've said last week we talked about dreaming and said we have to have a dream before we can do, or we're not really, we're just doing what we want. And not what God has for us. And we've been using Joseph kind of as our example. Remember last week we talked about Joseph had a dream. And then we talked about for us that if you're a person, God has a dream for your life. There's a plan that he has for you. There's a purpose that he has for you. So some of us don't get that. Some of us struggle with that. And we're going to move on. But I don't want you to feel left behind. I don't want you to feel discouraged if you're like, I haven't gotten it yet. Last week we said if you don't really know, that's fine. You just need to pray, you need to look around for the answers to your prayers, and then you need to live. You need to keep moving forward. It's easier to direct a moving ship than one that's sitting in the dock. So if you're not sure what God is calling you to, like we're going to talk about dreams here in a little bit, and if you don't, like, I don't know what mine is, don't feel bad about that. God wants to show you he's a good father. He wants you to live with purpose. And all you need to do is you just ask him to show you. You start looking around for how he's going to answer the questions. And you need to just to keep living. And one of the things we said in terms of living is look for people to serve. That's one of the best things you can do. Look for opportunities. I'm not talking about in this church. I'm talking about people. Look for people who you can serve. And as you, be, as you serve other people and love other people, it will be easier for God to direct you into the things that he has for you. Um, second thing I would say this some folks say, you know what, that's not for me, that's, that's a message for the under 25s, that's a message for people who are trying to figure out what to do with their life. I've got it, like I'm good. I've got work experience, I've got, a, I've got this stuff together. And some people may even say, you know what, I'm too old for that. I've missed that window. And what I want you to hear is you haven't. Moses was 80 before he stepped into God's calling for his life. I made the mistake at the first service of saying there's nobody here over 80 and there was somebody over 80. So that was nice for me. So most people in this room are under 80. You haven't even gotten there. Moses was one of the most effective leaders in the history of the world, and he really didn't get it until the last third of his life, from the, from the ages of 80 to 120, is when he was really living God's dream for him. So you're never, you're never too old. It's never too late. Until you're dead, God has a purpose for you. And it might be different than what it was two years ago, and it might be different from what it was 20 years ago. That doesn't matter. He always has things for you. So don't give up, don't coast, don't think I've already done my time. No. As long as you're here, God has stuff for you. And if you don't know, again, ask, look, and live. When we start talking about this idea of purpose, one of the things that comes into mind is, well, how do we know? Well, how do I know what God is saying to me? You're talking about God has a dream. Well, how am I supposed to know? Joseph, it's pretty plain. He has a dream and... You know, it's pretty easy for him to say, yeah, that's what God wants for my life. I've never had one of those. I've never had a dream like that. I've never felt this strong pull towards something. I don't know how to know if it's God directing me, if it's just me. And so then in the church, we a lot of times talk about signs. Those are just circumstances. We start talking about our circumstances and, well, how do you think God is leading you with your circumstances? And sometimes we get signs like this that don't help us at all. That's what some of us, we look at our life and that's what we see. It's, well, you can either go straight or left or right. Thanks. I already knew that. And we, God isn't giving us enough. Sometimes, let's see the next one. Sometimes it's this. We're going 45 miles an hour and we see that. We don't have a clue which way we're supposed to go. We've got, I've got kids and I've got a job and I've got a mortgage and I've got to get to soccer practice and I've got all this stuff. I've got it. I can't look at that. And that's where some of you are. It's, you're going so fast in life, you don't have time to read the signs. There's information, you just don't know what it is. Let's see the next one. Some of us, that totally. You're driving down the road, and you got people saying turn left, you got people saying turn right, you got people saying go straight, and really, all you're hearing is good luck, hope you figure it out. Pat them on the back. And that's where a lot of us live. We get so confused, we don't know what to do, it's... We need some help, but this is this is where we're going to stay today. I think for most of us, a lot of us, it's this next sign that we hit that really stumps us. We feel like the Lord's put something into our heart. We start working towards it, and then we run into that sign that says road closed, detour, and we don't know what to do. If we take the detour, are we giving up on what God has put in our life? Are we somehow abandoning? His will for us? Are we lacking faith? But if we just blow through the sign, are we being dumb? Is that foolish of us just to work right through it? And so we wind up not doing anything. A lot of us are sitting in front of road signs just like that because we don't know if we take the detour or if we continue to press on. And we're going to look at Joseph today and see if he can help us out a little bit. This is Genesis 37, starting in verse 5. We said last week, Joseph had a dream. So Joseph has this dream. He's 17 years old. Uh, he's the 10th or he's the 11th of 12 boys. He also has a sister. He's the 11th of 12 boys. His father. He's the favored son of his father. His father gives him this fancy coat to show that he's his favored son. I would say, if you have a favorite kid, don't give him something special like a robe to show that. It's not going to make the other boys happy. But his dad did that, so his brothers hate him. They're jealous of him. This is verse five. This doesn't help matters. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. They already hated him because he was the favorite and he had this fancy coat. Now they hate him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood up while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. He said to his brothers, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars we bowing down to me. Those dreams, is pretty obvious what he's saying. He's basically saying, you guys and mom and dad, by the way, are going to be bowing down to me at some point. I had the dream twice. And he tells them both times. They already hate him. Now they hate him even more. They're jealous. He's already the favorite. Now he seems to be a little bit cocky. So he's in a bad situation in terms of what his brothers are thinking about him. So at uh, some point in the future, we don't know how far, his brothers are out there tending flocks. These guys are all shepherds. The dad, his name is Jacob or Israel, he sends Joseph out and says, go check on these guys. And he goes to check on them and this is what he runs into. This is starting in verse 17. He runs into a guy, he says, I'm looking for my brothers. And the guy says, they've moved on from here. I heard him say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, probably because he was wearing a fancy coat. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. That's just a, a pit. And say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Kind of the idea here is he had this dream. We don't like the dream. So if we kill him, the dream doesn't come to pass. You kill the dreamer, then there is no dream left. So that's the thinking that's going on. So we have Joseph again, 17, shepherd, Favored son, loved by dad, hated by brothers, everyone's jealous of him, has these dreams. And in the dreams, it's pretty clear, at some point, his brothers and even his parents are going to be bowing down to them. He tells them this, and then his brothers get ticked, and so they have this plot. So Joseph has a dream, and maybe you know what yours is. Maybe you know what God has put into your heart. And you need to know one of the first roadblocks you're going to run into is opposition. That's what Joseph runs into. He runs into opposition from his brothers. They plot to kill him. They don't kill him. They throw him into a pit and then they decide to sell him to um, some guys who are headed to Egypt, to a caravan of Ishmaelites and uh, his story kind of goes on from there. But that's the first obstacle that Joseph runs into. So on this road that you're taking towards your dream, you're going to. It's not don't be surprised. You're going to run into a roadblock of opposition. And you've got to decide what to do with that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So... Joseph gets sold to the Ishmaelites. Here's the next scene. The Ishmaelites then turn around and sell him to a guy. This is Joseph getting sold again. They sell him to a guy named Potiphar, who's the chief um, of the guard. He's the captain of the guard. Some people say he was the chief executioner in Egypt. He was a big, high-up guy. And Joseph is sold to him to work as a slave in his house. And this is what the Bible says about that. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard... Brought him from the Ishma- bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. And with Joseph in charge he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So the picture here is Joseph is sold into slavery to this guy named Potiphar. God is with Joseph. Potiphar recognizes it and said God's blessing everything you're doing. Well I want God to bless me so I'm going to give you everything I'm doing. The only thing the Bible says Potiphar cared about was his food. Joseph ran everything else. He ran this guy's household. Everything about it, Joseph was in charge. So you see God has elevated him into this Status. Joseph is working hard. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but God has blessed him. And he's moving up, but that is not the end of the story. Potiphar has a wife, and the wife likes Joseph. And the wife is trying to get near Joseph, and Joseph is saying, you know what? I can't do that. And that, this is kind of the picture there. This starting in verse 7. Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Now what happens is at some point in the future, she has an opportunity. There's nobody home. All the servants are gone. So she sees an opportunity to get Joseph. And so she asks him again, you know, says, come to bed with me. And he says, no. And she grabs his coat. And he pulls out of it and runs away. And she takes that as an opportunity. I guess she's humiliated or something. So she screams and brings all the servants in and says, this kid, this servant, tried to rape me. And they obviously, they believe her. And then she tells her husband, Potiphar, the same thing. And this is what happens there. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me, he burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined So Joseph gets thrown in jail. The second roadblock, the second detour sign is temptation. And you can count on that also. There's going to be opposition and there's going to be temptation. What I want you to see about the temptation, and we don't have enough time to dig into this, so I'm just going to throw it out there and you can chew on it. The nature of the temptation that Joseph faced was not sexual. It had to do with this dream that God had for him. The sex thing, that was just the veneer. What was underneath it was, Joseph, you're in charge of this dude's house. You can do whatever you want. And his wife is saying, I want you. He could have abused his position in order to satisfy himself, and he didn't. The nature of the temptations that you will face will be core to the dream God has for you. It's going to hit at the heart of what God has for you. There are things that will tempt me that won't tempt you because God's calling me to something that he's not calling you to. And there are things that will tempt you that won't tempt me because God's calling you to something different than he's calling me. The temptation is it gets at the heart of what God wants for you. What God had said to Joseph is you're going to be great. We know the end of the story. We know eventually God's going to put Joseph in charge of Egypt, this massive empire. He's going to be the number two fella in Egypt. He's going to have all of this power, all of this authority. He's going to steward all of Egypt. Egypt, all the resources of this massive kingdom, he's going to steward. Now, if he gives in to temptation at this point, he's compromised in that. What he's done is he's taken he would have taken his position in this guy's house, which is the same position he's going to have in Egypt, just on a smaller scale. He would have taken that position and twisted it, warped it for his own benefit. He's compromised at that point. He's done. That's the nature of the temptation. So you need to look out for temptation and don't get... The veneer, whatever, doesn't matter. It's the heart of it. And so if you know what God is calling you to, you need to look out for temptation that will strike at the heart of that. You need to look for temptation that will cause you to take what God is saying, I want for you, and to twist it and use it for yourself. We don't have time to dig into that anymore. You can uh, just kind of chew on that. So this is what happened to Joseph. But the Lord was with him again. While Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. Then he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. So Joseph's thrown in jail. And you may remember the story. There are two guys who are in Pharaoh's court who are also thrown in jail, a chief cupbearer and a chief baker. They're guys who were in front of Pharaoh all the time, and they have, the, they have dreams. And Joseph sees them one morning, and they're bummed out, and he says, why are you guys bummed out? And they said, we have a dream, and we don't know what it means. And Joseph says, well, God can interpret dreams. Tell me. And they tell him, and he pegs the interpretation. He says, chief baker, in three days you're going to go before Pharaoh, and he's going to cut off your head, and that happens. And he says, chief cupbearer, in three days you're going to go before Pharaoh, and he's going to restore you to your position. And that's, gonna, and that's what happened. And Joseph says to the chief cupbearer, don't forget me. I'm a Hebrew. I shouldn't even be here. This isn't my country. I didn't do anything to get thrown in this jail. Don't forget about me. Verse forty twenty three. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I think this is probably the most uh, devastating roadblock, the most devastating obstacle for a lot of us. Opposition, a lot of times we can handle. Temptation, we see it, we can handle it. But when we feel like God has forgotten us, very difficult to keep going. When you feel like you've bumped up against it and God is not there, he's forgotten you and hopelessness or despair sets in. Very difficult to keep going. I think this was the most devastating blow for Joseph. I think this was actually worse than his brothers betraying him. Feeling like, you know what, he interpreted this dream correctly. He knew that dude in three days was going to be in front of Pharaoh. He said, don't forget about me. He's thinking this is my ticket out. He's probably packed his bags, counting the days. Three days, four days, five days, when are they going to come get me? Six days, seven days, eight days, has he forgotten? Nine days, ten days, when are they coming back? And they don't come back. Two years, we know it's two years because we can read two years. Joseph didn't know that, he just knew it wasn't today. And then he wakes up the next day and all he knows is, well, it's not today again. I don't know if he ever gave up hope. I know the temptation was there. Very difficult when you feel like God's forgotten you in jail to continue to hold on to what he's calling you to. Very hard to move forward. Devastating time, I think, for Joseph. But then two years pass. Pharaoh has a dream. Nobody can interpret it. The cupbearer says, oh, man, I forgot there's this guy. He's in jail. He can do it. So they get Joseph. They clean him up. Pharaoh tells him the dream. Joseph interprets the dream. Pharaoh recognizes it as a correct interpretation. And this is what he said to Joseph. Since God has made all this known to you, this whole interpretation about seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine, you can go back in chapter 41 and read it. There's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. So here you got Joseph going from jail to second-in-command in a day. That's quite a jump for anybody. Let me show you this last slide. When we look at Joseph's life, kind of from the outside, we show that last one, Alex. Um, it looks like God has this dream for Joseph, and it's for him to basically rule his brothers. And in our minds, we're thinking, well, that's a straight shot up. I'm here, I'm 17, I'm young, and I'm just going to climb the ladder, and at some point I'm going to be up here. But that's what his life really looked like. He starts off as a favored son. He winds up in Egypt in this fellow's house. And then from there he gets thrown in jail for something he didn't even do. And then from there he gets forgotten in jail. He's at the bottom of the pit. And then just like that, God reverses it and lifts him up. And when we look at that, when I look at that, I can say, look at all the detours in Joseph's life. I don't think there were detours. I don't think there's any way to get from where Joseph was to where God wanted him to be except that. If you have time, go and look at Philippians 2, and you'll see that's the pattern that Jesus took. He started, he was God, and he didn't consider being God something to be graft, so he became a servant, and then he died on a cross, and then God exalted him to every place. That's a template for how God works in our life. Not every time, but it's a... It's a pretty consistent pattern. You're here. God has something for you, and we get excited about that. And again, we think it's a straight line up from where I am to where he wants. And almost every time, maybe not every time, almost every time, we got to go down before God can lift us, raise us back up. Almost every time, the pattern you see in Joseph is what you'll see in your own life. And so the question is, well, was Joseph, maybe you're asking this, was was all of the things that happened to Joseph, was that God's will? Was it God's will for him to get thrown into a pit and sold into slavery and blah? I don't know. And I don't think it matters. I think it's completely irrelevant whether those things were God's will or not. I think what matters is God used it. He redeemed it. Y'all all know Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. Joseph's life is Romans 8.28. God used the jealousy and hatred of Joseph's brothers to get Joseph to Egypt. God used the lust and deceitfulness of Potiphar's wife to get Joseph in jail. Whose jail? The king's jail, where he can run into these two guys who happen to know the king, Pharaoh, who happen to run into Pharaoh all the time. He even used the forgetfulness of the cupbearer to bring Joseph up at just the right time. What if the cupbearer... Eighteen months before that, and said, hey, I know this dude named Joseph. He's in jail. You should let him out. He's a good guy. And what if Pharaoh said, okay, and cut him loose? Joseph's not there when the dream comes. We said the point of this whole thing. It's not about Joseph being great. And God's dream for us is not about us being anything. It's all about accomplishing his purposes. It's doing the stuff on the wall. God's trying to create a people. As many people as he can who look as much like Jesus as possible before the end comes. He had promised Abraham, Joseph's great-granddad. He said, you're going to be a mighty nation. I'm going to make a a people through you. Numerous as the sand on the seashore. Numerous as the stars in the sky. If they all get wiped out in a famine, the promise is not fulfilled. If Joseph is not there at that time, the promise is not fulfilled. It's amazing. It's amazing. To think of the way God used sin, forgetfulness, whatever you want. The way he used all of that stuff to get Joseph where he wanted to go. There is no land of opportunity during this time in history. Who your parents were determined who you were. I don't care how pretty you are, how smart you are, how hard you worked. That it was all determined by your parentage. There's no way a Hebrew shepherd becomes second in charge of Egypt. It, there is no line from here to here except that one that took Joseph in that direction. It's the only way to get there. It's not that Joseph took detours. He took the straightest shot. It was the only route possible. And what you see in that is the way God forms and shapes. And So what I would say to you is, will you face opposition? Absolutely. Temptation? Absolutely. Will you, at some point, maybe want to give up? Hopelessness? Despair? Absolutely. And they don't matter. It's just stuff. If you know what God has called you to, He's going to get you there. A guy came in my office this week and he's confronting a major life decision. He said, can I screw up God's will for my life? Can I mess it up? And I said, not unless you're a rebel. If you're cooperating with God, he's going to work it out. L- read the story. People tried to kill him. He was in the house of the chief executioner of Egypt who, and was accused of trying to rape that man's wife. How does he not get his head cut off? How does that happen? How does he just get thrown in jail? God works through all of this stuff. I'm not asking, it doesn't matter if it's God's will. And I'm, I'm saying, that, you hear what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. What matters is, are you still walking on the road? He'll work all of it out. If you're a rebel, you're in trouble. If you're not, if you're cooperating, you're good. He's going to work it out. And in retrospect, which is the only way you're going to be able to see it, Same thing with Joseph. It's only in retrospect. You're going to look in your rearview mirror and you're going to see, you know what? They weren't detours. It's the way I had to come. The skills that it takes to run an empire in the middle of a famine, you don't get those shepherding sheep. You get those running a jail. And you get those running somebody's house. So then when you're put in charge of running an empire, you actually know what it is to run something. You don't get that tending flocks. Joseph didn't have the skills as a shepherd boy to do what God called him to do, so he took him to school. And it might not have been a pleasant school, but it was the only school that Joseph could go to. And he didn't just take him to school, he took him to the one school where he would meet the right people who at the right time would be able to get him where God wanted him to go. And that's what it is for us. Katie White's going to come up here. Uh, I said at the early service, she's one of my heroes, and she really is. She... As much as anybody I know has embraced this idea that God has a call, a, a dream for her, and she's done it. She has, she has bent her life around what she feels like God wants for her. Her husband Daniel's in the back. They, have as a family, have said, this is what God wants for Katie, and we're going for it. And they've made the decisions and even the sacrifices that have been required in order for them to get here. So it's 1230, and we're supposed to be done, and we're not. So I want you to hang in here because you need to hear what she's got to say okay and then i'll come back up in a minute i want you to talk into this microphone so it can be we can record it if you want you can just hold it just hold it
1: okay i'm katie and uh, i am excited to say that i am living god's dream for me um and for our family right now um I uh, had that rear-view mirror experience last week um, when David started speaking about God's dream and uh, came to him and just told him how powerful it was and that I did want to share, because it's not until looking back that I was able to see he did that for me. He knew me so well, and he designed this for me. Um, It's not about me. It's about those things over there, and uh, sometimes it's hard to see on a day-to-day basis if those things are being done, um, my dream, and I knew it before uh, law school was to be an attorney for children. Um, he did miracles to get me and my husband into the same law school that could have been weird um, had we not um Got us through law school, had a baby during the second year of law school. I mean, just crazy stuff that we shouldn't have been allowed to do. Um, and we did. And, uh, you know, I just, um, somewhere along the way there, I got, um, distracted. And, and for me, it was good things. You know, it wasn't devastating things like Joseph had to go through, but, but it was American things, you know, comfort and a certain amount of money. Family, I mean, you know, just things that I did not think it was possible to be the kind of attorney I wanted to be and have time for my family, make enough money to pay the mortgage. Um, I just didn't know of a position like that, but God knew, and he had it for me. Um, We started coming to Stonebridge. I was very comfortable in my job at a firm. It was great. It was fine, but it was not what I was supposed to be doing, Um, and I started, you know, just casual lunches with the eldridges and stuff, Um, I would say, well, eventually this is what I want to do, you know, just eventually I know that's what I'm supposed to be doing, well, David would say, you know, why aren't you doing it, and what are you doing to, you know, do it, and I wasn't doing anything, I wasn't even asking, I wasn't even telling people this is what I want to do, I was just, I just wasn't doing anything, um. And, uh, so at that time, Stonebridge was small enough that if it was your birthday that month, um, David would ask you in, in the group, you know, what do you want God to do for you this year for your birthday? And so I had to publicly say, you know, this is what I want. I know this is God's dream for me. I want to be an attorney for children. I'm not doing that, and that's what I want. Um, So now it was out there, and people started praying. The people of Stonebridge started praying. Many of you in this room probably prayed for me during that time. And honestly, those few months were the hardest because now I'd I'd said it. I'd made it public. You know, I was going to do it, and it just wasn't coming. You know, all, all the doors seemed, you know, well, that's not enough money. That's down in Fulton County. We really feel called to Marietta. Um, it just didn't seem to be anything that was the right fit for us. Um, but after several months, um, just started talking to people, you know, one thing after the next. I mean, God is just weaving all this together, knows me, Um and and the perfect thing came along. And um, I'm a part-time um, contract attorney down at juvenile court representing kids every day. Um, I spend lots of time in the jail cells. I spend, you know, lots of time with kids who are literally in chains, in handcuffs. Um, and just, you know, pray that somehow my presence in the five minutes I may have with them, that they're not in a jail cell all day, um, that, you know, something happens, that the Lord works. Um I would just say uh, that, you know, God knew me so well. He knew our family so well and knew what we needed. At the time I accepted the job, I did not know, but I was four weeks pregnant with our third child. Um, you know, had I known that, timing-wise, I mean, I would have never budged from my comfortable job. You know, I, I I just wouldn't have done that. And and God knew all of those circumstances, and, and he worked it um, together for good for our family. Um, so it's been, um, it's been a wonderful adventure, and like I said, it's only looking backwards that I've been able to see. There's hundreds of more details of how it's perfect, of how he got us here, of, of all my detours, but um, just know that, that it's been good and that, um, you know, it's such a, such a statement of faith for me to now be able to say, I mean, it, it just increased my trust in him so much and, and just to see what a loving God he is. Um, so let me pray for us right? If y'all bow your heads. <clears throat> God, I thank you um, that you love us so much. You know each person in this room so well. You know what their needs are. You know what their desires are. Many of them know already what, what your dream for them is. Uh, some of them don't, Lord, and I pray for those who don't. God, we just ask this morning that you would begin to reveal that, that you would just show them uh, your your passion and your heart for them what it is you have them uh, on earth to do, keeping in mind the things on our wall here and what our overall purpose is for you. God, for those who know and are just sitting uh, being comfortable or for whatever detour they've hit, um, God, I just pray that they would begin to tell people, that they would begin to talk to those around them and and just um, begin to serve, like David said, Lord, and and just uh, seek out your heart for them and how you can make it work, because you can, Lord, and you and you have, and you're going to, Lord, I just, um, I wonder what if each person in here um, were to do the thing that you've called them to do, what would our city look like, um, and I just, I thank you for the work you're doing, I pray you would open hearts this morning, and just, I uh, just pray for persistence, Lord, that we just would not stop until you've revealed those things, those dreams, and until you've done them, Lord, I just thank you and praise you, in your name I pray.